Hello and welcome to the People Powered Green Left Podcast, where we give the voice to the 99% and not the big corporations. If you think this project is important, please consider becoming a supporter today. Now, on to our latest episode. The Western Australian government threatening the nursing union with uh, deregistration and other intimidation tactics as nurses campaign for a decent pay rise. That's the topic of the Green Left Show today. Thanks everyone for joining us. My name's Alex Bainbridge. I'd like to acknowledge at the outset, as always, this is stolen Aboriginal land that we're producing this, uh, this uh, show on, and we always pay our respects to Elders uh, past and present. Uh, also, if you like the work we do, please become a Green Left supporter. It is the number one way to support the work that we do. There's a link in the description. I'm here today with uh, Chris Jenkins, who is a nursing union activist. Uh, he was the one who moved the motion successfully at the October mass meeting to call for a 10% uh, pay rise uh, for, for nurses in WA and he's also a member of Socialist Alliance. Uh, please welcome Chris. I, I began by asking Chris to please outline what are the issues in the, in the dispute. So even before COVID, uh, in Western Australia, nurses and midwives um, are suffering from major staffing shortages, um, which is most sort of apparent within the midwifery sphere. Um, most folks living in WA wouldn't know that um, newborn babies are not counted for uh, funding purposes as patients. And so when a midwife has a patient load of six, that's the birthing parent. And on top of that would be up to six newborns that they are caring for, which they have no resources allocated for, but they have every legal responsibility to perform that care. Um, So the burnout rate among nurses, but particularly around midwives is huge. Um, The main sort of maternity hospital, King Edward Memorial Hospital, uh, is suffering from a huge lack of staff, and that's been an ongoing issue for years now. Um, but obviously, the situation with COVID across the healthcare system has made it so much more exacerbated. Um, this year is the first year that the universities in Western Australia have not been able to fill their quotas for nursing students, which indicates that from an issue of pay and conditions, um, nursing and midwifery are not appealing professions in Western Australia. Um, we haven't had a pay, way, uh, pay rise in over 10 years. Um, and there's just a growing dissatisfaction amidst a, a rising cost of living crisis in Western Australia, where you know inflation's at 7.5% roughly, uh, and people are just seeing their wage stagnate if not go backwards now. I mean, there are other secondary issues, um, if you like, in terms of the cost of parking and other such things. Um, but the the core issues that people are raising within the workplace are, are wages and, and, and ratios, save ratios. The West Australian government is currently in surplus. Really, the government has got no excuse uh, not to, uh, you know, not to provide a decent pay rise. But instead, they're doing intimidation tactics, threat to deregister the union. Could you please talk about the role of the WA Labor government in this dispute? Yeah, it's been pretty incredible. Um, so the the state is in a, a budget surplus of over six million uh, billion dollars, and the state government was very quick to sort of crow about that and sort of hold it up for their accomplishment. Um, but they've this year, a lot of public sector unions are negotiating EBAs with the government and they've said across the board that the only thing they will offer is a 3% pay rise, which in the context of inflation being seven and a half percent is a, is a significant pay cut in real terms. Um, and so we've had a number of unions, um, organize events, but have conceded to the 3%, um, sort of intransient offer that the government is, is really sticking to. Um, so the government has been really hardline on this issue. 
Um, and with the nurses, you know, we were heroes uh, during pandemic, but more recent to that, you know, we've had them say that not in ex explicit terms, but the language has changed. And now they're concerned that we're asking for too much. We're being unreasonable. And when the um, union leadership in Western Australia of the Nurses and Midwifery Union um, made an agreement and then consulted the membership and then returned with an opposition to the deal as it stood, um, then we were two-faced. And when we went on strike, we were criminals. So there's the Western Australian Industrial Relations Commission, um, which is separate from the government, yet is funded by the government and is a, uh, their commissioners are appointed by the government. Um, the Western Australian government um, took the ANF to the WARC. And since then, the WARC has basically been making orders of the union, which are entirely in line with the government's demands. And there's been no pressure from the WARC to the WA government to actually um, compel them or you know make the argument to them that they should be giving nurses and midwives pay rises in real terms. So where that stood recently was the um, prior to the vote which members took to take a uh, strike action on the 25th of November, um, the state government um, was calling us criminal and the WARC told the union that the leadership was no longer allowed to communicate with the nurses union membership about the deal. And then when we had our vote and went on strike, um, they commenced um, processes to deregister the nurses union in Western Australia, or at least held up the threat of doing so. Um, and since then, the ANF has met with the WARC, but what those deliberations were are confidential. Us as members have not been told what the details were. We've, had, we've been told that the WARC is no longer seeking to gag the union and that the membership can communicate with the leadership of the union. Um, but they've been very silent. They haven't given an explicit statement that they are withdrawing their application to deregister. And since then, the union leadership has gone completely silent. And so my concern, and it's shared by a lot of members, is that an agreement has been made that the threat of deregistration will linger in the background and it will influence, and it has, I think, influenced the, the willingness of the nurses union leadership to be out there continuing this industrial relations commission, uh, industrial action. So since that Friday on the 25th of November, things have really come to a halt and they've gone underground. And we as members really don't even know where things are at. So the Western Australian government has said that they're independent and separate from the WARC and that they didn't ask the WARC to commence deregistration dere action. But a lot of people would see it as pretty coincidental, including the, the state secretary of the Australian Medical Association in Western Australia, who basically made these points as well saying that this is a highly politicised context in which these things are happening. Could you describe more about the union leadership's role in this dispute? Yeah, so I think the first thing to mention is the fact that the election which happened in October for the ANF in Western Australia was pretty much the first public election of union officials in over 10 years. Um, there's been a standard practice prior to that that those already on council and those in executive positions uh, would be the only people who got nominations into the electoral commission and therefore won by default and the ballot was never sent out to members. Um, there was a real concerted effort by a group of um, members, myself included, to contest the election that happened. And again, seems a coincidence that the existing um, ANF executive 
uh, failed to lodge applications with the Electoral Commission to, to hold the election, meaning that it was held two months later at the same time that the EBA negotiations were happening, which allowed them to have a platform which no other candidate had. And Janet Ray, who's now the existing secretary, um, was made acting or assistant secretary in the union, which is a position that doesn't exist in the lead up to the election. Um, and there's been a lot of internal strife where we learned that the secretary for 24 years, Mark Olson, was made CEO by this unelected um, council in the months prior. And four days after the election, which was held in October, he was given voting rights as a member of the council itself without the knowing of, of the members. So even now we have the WARC saying that they are doing an audit of the recent union election because hundreds of members didn't receive their ballot. And there's every chance that there will be a new election held early next year. So that very much plays into the mix of this ongoing um, EBA campaign, because you have, a you have a leadership that in some ways feels very vulnerable to the membership and is up for re-election again. And then you have a government that could potentially say that they don't have to negotiate in good faith with the existing executive because it might change as well. So us as members are sort of stuck in the middle there. So the meeting in October was held um, as an AG, as a uh, stop work meeting to establish the demands of the, of the EBA campaign. And at that meeting, I was able to raise the 10% demand up from the, the ANF's proposed 5% demand, which the 5% was quite general across the public sector unions. Um, but still, if inflation is at 7.5%, you are effectively advocating for a pay cut for members, whereas 10% was a 2.4% pay rise in real terms. Um, and it was widely applauded. It was voted almost unanimously. Well, you know, it was by acclaim, essentially, the meeting was. So there was no dissent to that vote. Um, but even before that meeting had finished, Janet Ray, as secretary on the podium, was basically saying that it was an unrealistic demand, but they put it to the government anyway. So the ANF executive um, has joined with the government, has joined with the corporate media to co pour cold water over the only real terms increased demand that the union has made. Um, and since then has basically used online member surveys to suggest that in actual fact, members are sobered up to um, pragmatism and are supporting now 5% um, demand, which they continue to put to the government. But with McGowan, the Labour government uh, being steadfast with 3%, they're trying to wrangle 3% uh, for a wage increase and then a 2% increase based on a pre preceptorship um, payment, which amounts to 5%, but it demonstrates that they are sort of wrangling in a way that doesn't actually recognize that the 5% or 10% by itself was the legitimate demand. So we have a strange situation where members are going on strike, um, fighting for less of a wage cut than what the government wants to suggest. When you know we are in such a strong position as a union, we're a big union. We're in the midst of a pandemic still, and the government's in surplus. So, would you say on balance that the union leadership has got your back? Absolutely not. So, um, the thing about the ANF in Western Australia is that there is no union structure beyond the executive and the council, um, and members don't even know the contact details or the persons who are on council. Uh, that information isn't provided to members. So. There's a growing anger amongst members, but there's not the structures at the ward or the hospital level that allows people to mobilize and organize themselves. However, saying that, there is now uh, spaces on social media. There's a um, Facebook group, an unofficial union Facebook group that has thousands of members on it now. And there's, a, there's an ongoing discussion and debate there 
And that has flown on from the election and then the EBA campaign as it started. And that's becoming the foundation, if you like, of a, a, a conscious, self-conscious membership and the realization that we are not spectators to this process. Um, and the fact that we have received no email since Friday the 25th about the state of the EBA campaign um, by Janet Ray, the state secretary, we are all just reading the newspaper, the West Australian newspaper, basically looking for hints as to where our EBA campaign is up to. You know, so we feel like we are being left in the dark, yet we are the main protagonists in this struggle. Um, and the strike on the 25th was amazing. Um, it really galvanized people. Like it's the first time a lot of people have had that experience. Uh, and then yesterday we're hearing in the West Australian that Janet Ray is basically saying that there are no future strikes planned um, and that strikes are dangerous and that people could die and therefore she doesn't think it's a, um, a, a tactic moving forward. Um, and the conversation that I'm part of and I'm seeing, you know, on social media is how do we as members organize such a thing, you know? So there's a real desire by members uh, to keep pushing this campaign um, without believing that those in a position of responsibility to do so will do so. What are the next steps in this campaign as you see it? Um, I mean, it's challenging because obviously we're coming up to Christmas, but ironically, Christmas being such an expensive time just reminds people, members, nurses and midwives of why they need this industrial action to continue in the first place. So at the moment, I understand that there's, you know, there's talk about doing a social media campaign between now and Christmas. Um, but we are basically putting to Janet Ray and the executive that they themselves should be communicating and planning things with members. Um, a lot of us, myself included, have actually been banned from the ANF official Facebook page. Uh, the union is deleting a lot of people who are critical of them uh, as if they are the union themselves, which is obviously not the case. And you know, a whole bunch of my emails that I'm sending with suggestions about where we could take this are being ignored. Um, when people feel like the door is closed to them, they will find other avenues of moving forward. And that's the conversation that's being had at the moment. Um, where exactly that goes, um, I don't know. But people are, people are resigning from the union. Um, and so we do need momentum. And I think public rallies, public, you know, rallies probably are the capacity of the membership as, by itself. And there is a growing sort of desire to see that happen. You mentioned earlier the, the global pandemic. And of course, we're two and a half years into this pandemic. And um, this is a earlier, you know, nursing staff and other medical workers were applauded and cheered and, and, and clapped and so forth but not paid the respect of a decent salary. Can you please uh, talk more about that? Yeah. So the last election in Western Australia was a landslide for the state Labor government. Uh, they won a majority in both seats and it was a crushing um, victory that they had. Myself and other people basically agree that that was a referendum on the border question in large part. It was the question that dominated the entire um, election campaign. So it was an, a very popular proposal at the time. Um, but the closing the border at best gave us a window of time to invest seriously in our healthcare system to ensure that it was robust and well-staffed and all these things. Um, and the government did very little to actually affect that. There was a rally a few years ago, I think three years ago, outside King Eddie's Memorial Hospital, where midwives were saying, we are stretched to breaking points. People are going to have accidents. People may die. And the then uh, WA health minister, Roger Cook, said, Basically, what are you folks talking about? There are more people giving birth every year, at the, uh, um, every day here at the moment. To which midwives said, "Yes, that's our point. We are being snowed under by the demand on our service." 
Um, so they've been in denial. Um, they've never claimed or stated publicly that we're in a public health care crisis, even though midwives, nurses, doctors, our unions are just crying out for, for that type of thing. Um, they refuse to acknowledge a problem, so therefore they're not interested in fixing it. Um, but the thing is, what's interesting is there, there is a question developing, a conversation developing in Western Australia that, as you said before, we are in a mining state and the government says that they have a $6 billion surplus now, but that could disappear next year and they need to not act like they have the money to spend. But they haven't raised the royalties on mining uh, on the mining sector for decades. You know, so they are getting a pittance. And so they are choosing to squeeze the budget, the 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 salaries of nurses and midwives during a pandemic rather than go after the big profits that are coming from the mining industry. And that's something that people are starting to talk about, um, which is really important. Um, yeah, and also McGowan has said that to raise nurses and midwives salaries by 5% would cost $2 billion. And people have looked at that and have yeah, has not made sense at all. What we've now found out is that they seem to have made an agreement across the public sector unions that no union will get more than 3%. And if they do, every other union will be paid the same percentage increase as whatever union negotiated that increase. So they are basically saying that teachers and public servants and nurses and everybody will get what the nurses end up winning. Um, there is a big pay disparity between different public sector areas. Um, and the idea that we as, you know, reasonably like thoroughly underpaid nurses and midwives in Western Australia can't get a pay rise because, you know, other folks in other sectors by default will get the same. So it ignores the fact that there are tens of thousands of dollars difference between those professions in the first place. Um, we are just, we have not had our, our wages increase in all that time. So that's an ongoing thing that needs to be raised. Um, it's not part of the public dialogue at the moment. Can you can you can you describe? Can you give us more of a sense what the feeling, what the flavour was like of this um, November twenty five strike action in Perth? Well, I actually wasn't there because I uh, I was caring for, I was caring for my um, toddler at home. But I mean, the funny thing is because I've attended rallies for years and I've seen big rallies in other cities and I saw aerial footage of the rally outside Parliament and I actually thought it was quite small. Little did I know it's because it was so densely packed um, and a lot of people there had never been. To a rally before and the feedback i got was that you know people were standing out in the sun to the point where one member of the audience actually fainted um but the the, the atmosphere apparently was electric and and yeah there's a lot of pent-up feeling because i think a lot of these folks nurses and midwives know that their compassion and their professional care for their patients has been taken advantage of for so long this now is creating an outlet for them to say we let, they won't accept that anymore um, so it is always the people who are sort of, if you like, most unexpected to take action, the most downtrodden in terms of professions that end up making the biggest splashes and inspirations. And I, I definitely think that we don't have an immediate way forward uh, in terms of this EBA, but I don't think this is over by a long stretch. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's exciting. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Uh, I've been a member of ANF for like 10 years now. And this is the first time that it's felt like a mass member organization, um, which is really exciting. Um, people are talking at work. People are organizing in their free time in a way that I've never seen. Um, so it, it like for all the frustrations that are um, evident, so both in myself and other people in this campaign, 
it is also a really enthusiastic and inspiring campaign where people who, you know, previously have not considered themselves to be political or trade unionists are leading the conversation in our workplaces. So it's, it's exciting to see where it can go. It's obviously frustrating that we need to be going through all this and basically be hammering at the door to say, Hey, we deserve fair. Um, but I think both in terms of our relationship as a, as a union membership, our relationship with the, with the executive of our union and our relationship with the government will be, you know, brought into definition and we will, you know, be able to fight for much better. And I think there's a consciousness that's growing that won't go away. And so I think that's great. All right. Uh, thank you for that. I'd like to thank Chris for his time today. That brings us to the end of this Green Left show. Uh, I'd like to thank you for joining us. And of course, please um, give us a thumbs up on the video or the podcast, however you're getting this episode of the Green Left show. Please spread the word to your friends and acquaintances. Uh, share this episode. Uh, help us build the audience for the Green Left show. If you like the work we do, please become a Green Left supporter. It is the best way to support our work and to receive the content that we produce. Um, every little bit helps. Plans start from just $5 a month and you can uh, check out in the, the link in the description below. If you prefer, you can also um, help us out on Patreon um, or else, as I said before, without spending a cent, give this video or, or podcast a thumbs up, share it, help us to build the audience. Until next time. I hope you got a lot out of this episode. To continue producing shows like this, we need your support. Consider becoming a supporter for $5 a month, sharing this show on social media, and submitting your own stories. You can do all this at our website, greenleft.org.au.